0: Let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you for the chance to be able to worship you in spirited and truth. We are so honored. We get a chance to talk to you and know you. God, we thank you that even though we're in a room together, we can be experiencing the throne room of God. We can have this holy, dynamic, loving being. be aware of us. Who are we that you are mindful of us, God? And so we are just so honored that you have revealed your word to us and that you want to direct our lives. And so we've come today not to hear uh, advice. We've rather come to hear the voice of God to transform our lives. So Spirit of God, do it again. Change us and make us more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Pastor Russell mentioned, we are closing out this series As we close out the series, we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, but we've also looked at several other texts to deal with the issue of hope. This issue is of the utmost importance because if you have not learned, something we've said over and over again, is that life is tragically unfair. That you will see people who get things they do not deserve, good things, and you will see people who are good and they will experience trial and pain. And it is in those moments when we feel the unfairness of life that we begin to lose our hope, our hope in God. What we're trying to teach is that disappointment is inevitable, that hard times will come, and that trials should be anticipated. Some of you right now, no matter what the circumstance you're in, some of you are anticipating what God's gonna do. You are hopeful. But some of you are confused, deeply confused about the route your life has taken and you don't know what's left next and you've been robbed of hope. Some of you are hopeless. And our goal here today, as we've had these last few weeks, is to teach you how to hope. It is important to note, as we've said before, hope is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Rather, hope is a way of thinking. So if you can teach hope, that means just like you can teach a child two plus two equals four, you can learn how to hope no matter what area of life has seemed tragically unfair. No matter what area of life you've been deeply disappointed in you can hope what is hope hope is when no matter what you still expect great things from God and today I want to offer you hope in a disappointing tragic world it is important to note that the context of this book in first Peter is being written to people who had every reason to be hopeless if you remember from the very first chapter, what we talked about was that they were exiles, meaning that if you look in Jewish history, these are folks who have been captured. And they have been placed into cities and into towns and regions where they are foreigners. And because of that, they face all types of opposition. Not only opposition it is they face, but persecution. If you remember, there was a fire that broke out in Rome. And after that fire broke out, Caesar accused Christians of the fire. It is from that accusation that persecution broke out. And these Christians started to get killed based upon something they did not do couldn't you imagine living in a state of shock because you're being accused of something you did not do, tortured because of something you did not do? That is precisely what these folks are dealing with. And so it is with that in mind that we come to the text today as we've looked at hope a bunch of different ways. Today we look at hope, and we look at hope's greatest enemies hope's greatest enemies they are twofold they are our pride and the devil himself and today in 1 Peter chapter 5 we are going to look at both of those enemies as we close out this book first we'll deal with pride and then we'll deal with the devil there is of course a good side of pride that is self-respect When you've done a good job and you're proud of yourself because you gave it your all, that is a healthy thing. But there is of course a bad side of pride and that is self-sufficiency. That is when you have placed yourself in a position where you don't need anyone, you don't listen to anyone and you certainly don't need God. Humility keeps your eyes on God, pride keeps your eyes on yourself. And so it is pride that also is the basis of our anxiety because we're wondering how can we get ourselves out of this. And humility keeps our eyes on God. Pride disappears in the presence of God. And as people of God, we should be dependent on God and interdependent on one another as God's people. And so as we look at pride, We are trying to learn how to lean into humility so that we can remove our pride and place our hope back in God. First Peter chapter five, verse five. Look there with me. First Peter chapter five, verse five. If you remember last week, we dealt with the issue of elders and we talked about elders twofold. One, the office of elder that is a pastoral office, but also the indication of maturity as elder. In other words, when Uh, Peter is talking about elder. He's talking about a mature, seasoned believer. He's also talking about an office. Here, he's talking about a mature, seasoned believer. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. The word subject there means to submit, that would mean it is a voluntary submission, coming uh, coming beside or behind someone who is further along than you so that you can learn from them. Well, what we said last week, and it's worth noting again, just because you're older doesn't mean you're an elder, praise the Lord. Just because you've been around for a while doesn't mean you're mature. What he's talking about is not as much as he's talking about age, although that is the presumption. The presumption is if you've been a believer for a while, you should have gotten to the place where you can help other people grow. Another sermon for another day. But what he's getting at is this. Younger people are being commanded to learn from wiser, older people. Now, figuring out who's younger and older in here is pretty difficult because everybody's quote unquote young, whatever that means in this space. But there is a a rootedness of humility that says, I don't know everything. I need to learn from other people. And when he says, learn from elders, he's essentially saying, uh, be subject to elders. Put yourself in a position where you're always willing to listen to people further along than you. Um, Don't clap. I turned 47 this year, and now, whenever I say 40-something, people just like, praise God. That's so good. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere else I preach, there, it's just like a fact here. It's like, wow, man, it's, that's old. But I turned 47 this year, and I have reached the season of my life where I no longer attempt to give unsolicited advice. Because I used to just want to help people, and get annoyed, no, don't do it that way. And what I've learned the hard way is that some people need to learn the hard way. Because if you don't listen, pain needs to be your teacher. And, and, and what, I've, what I've realized is, if you find yourself telling someone something again and again and again, You have to allow them to get another teacher pain pain is a dynamic teacher Because you don't remember what I said you came here again. You asked me again You don't remember what I said last week, but pain has a dynamic way of helping your memory Because scars go deep It is because of that that God will allow those who do not listen to learn hard things Look what he goes on to say in verse, the latter part of verse five, clothe yourselves, all of you. That is, even the elders need to be clothed in humility, with humility towards one another. Now, then he quotes the Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble The imagery here of God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, this is actually a quotation out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, but this rendition of opposing the proud, giving grace to the humble, the rendition of that, the principle of that is all throughout Psalms, Proverbs, the Gospels, and the book of James, as well as here. This repeated theme and repeated idea is God trying to give an indication of how he wants you to learn wisdom. And either you will learn wisdom with God being an obstacle towards you or him being an advantage for you. You think you have problems. What if God is your problem? What happens when God has realized the only way she or he is going to learn is when I offer them or allow them to experience pain. God allows us to go through trials. So understand, what it, it doesn't say God just gives trial. He says he's in opposition to you getting new opportunity because you are not humble enough for, for that platform. So what he wants to do, he, God wants to exalt you. He just wants to exalt the humble you, not the proud you. Why does God oppose the proud? He opposes the proud because proud believers forget what God has done for them. The book of Hosea chapter 13 says, but I am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt. You know, no God, but me. And beside me, there is no savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. Listen, but when they had grazed and they became full, they were filled and their heart was lifted up. And what happens? They forgot me. And so, what God says in this text is I have to continually offer Israel trials because they only talk to me when they're in pain. In order to create intimacy with them, I've got to allow them to experience more and more opposition. They forget the God who put them in a position to eat. And if they would just praise me, if they would just remember me, I would put them in a greater position, but they don't remember me, so I've got to put them in greater pain. Not only do the proud forget, but the proud forget who God is, but they forget who they are. Romans 12, verse 3 says, For the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think higher than himself than they ought to think, but to think of themselves with sober judgment. The imagery of soberness means a realness and an honesty with yourself about your strengths and your weaknesses, about what you did and what God did. And in in the end, anyone who has taken any kind of summation over what God did versus You did, you say, he did it all. But there is a tendency for us to think of ourselves higher, as if we put ourselves in the position we're in. And so because of that, God has to allow some people to experience embarrassment, failure, and exhaustion. Simply because you think too much of yourself and you're drunk off yourself. You're high on yourself. And so God has to humble you and bring you into a greater position. Realize this, the point of the pain is not just pain. The point of the pain is to soften us, to allow us to be more broken. It, it amazes me how the most inexperienced people have the strongest opinions. (laughs) And yet, talk to somebody who's been through storms, and here's what they do. They realize the brokenness in themselves and the brokenness in other people. You can tell a humble heart by how graceful they are towards others. You can tell proud a person is how much they're law-oriented towards other people. And so, The humble, he says, will experience grace. God will oppose the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. Grace is this incredible advantage God gives us. Grace is putting us in a position where we'll have unusual advantage, even though we are greatly unprepared. It was Moses who goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. The brother had, did not know how to perform miracles, but God put him in a position where he would be his mouth. Though he stuttered, God put him in a position where he would speak. He gave him an unusual ad- advantage. When you look at Joseph, Joseph, who had no administrative qualities but was known as a dreamer, ends up being exalted in Pharaoh's administration. God gave him an unusual advantage, even though he was greatly unprepared. And then you think about David. David slays Goliath. He ain't never really even been in a fight before, but he fought all these animals and he took five smooth stones and he takes out Goliath. Not because he was greatly trained to fight men, but because God gave him grace. And he gave him an unusual advantage. God gives grace to the humble. That means as you are preparing for your platform for the great things you ought to do, maybe instead of just thinking about your resume and thinking about your networks, maybe character formation should be one of the primary things you think about. And you ask yourself, Do I have the capability and the capacity to listen to other people about myself? Because the humble heart wants to learn from God and others. God gives a greater grace to the humble because they know they can lean on him. Look what he says in verse six. He says, humble yourself, therefore, since you get this great advantage, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You see the end part? He says he wants to exalt you. He wants to put you in a greater position than you are in. But the key is humility. God will exalt you out of a hard situation. He will lift you up. And put you in a position where those who are opposing you will see the humility of your heart and the God that puts you there. But I do need to make a note. This is when God elevates you. You know, you can elevate yourself. And men can elevate themselves. Man can be elevated. In fact, proud people can be elevated. The difference between the proud being elevated and the humble being elevated is that the humble that are elevated have God's hand on them. He says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will elevate you. Being elevated and being in a greater position is great, but it's horrible if you don't have God's peace. It's different when you know that God has placed you in that position. It's a package deal. When you've been so humble to see God's face that he elevates you, puts you in a greater position, and those that oppose you see the God of your life in your life and in your heart. I do think it's also worth noting, um, God elevating you and you getting a promotion aren't always the same thing. God may, listen, listen elevation does not mean a new job. Elevation doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a new circumstance. It may. He may elevate you out of the situation you're in. I know, y'all, I know many of us want to be elevated out of something. But God can elevate you in something. In other words, God can elevate you above the situation. You're in the same situation you were before, but you have a greater, grander peace and a greater perspective than you did before. He can elevate you, same job, same people, but you've been elevated. So when you walk in you are not subject to what they think about you, what they say about you and the people around you. He can elevate you in the same place but with new peace. He can elevate you with a new perspective. But he can also elevate you out of the situation all together. God elevates. I just want to make a note in this city where everybody is working so hard for advantage. What if you restructured your life to believe God elevates, that God promotes, and that God places you in the position that you ought to be in? That means, look at the last part, proper time. We wait on the timing of God for where we are and who we are, and we don't need to look at what everyone else has because we're waiting on the timing of God. He'll elevate you in the proper time. Do you know this is a promise? That in due season, if I faint not, if I keep doing the good things, the things of God, I don't have to worry because in God's timing, he will put me in the position I need to be in. The proper time is the time that I want. God help the person that's elevated too soon. Put in position and not ready not having strong enough convictions, not having enough peace to deal with the consequences of people's opinions. But God can develop you in the dark room when no one sees you. I tell you, one of the best things you can do is have no one know you. Because character development in private is great. My Lord in public is bad. When everybody knows, oh, they're struggling, it's harder that way. He blesses you to keep you behind the scenes. He's kind to keep your life quiet. But in the proper time, he can elevate you. And so you might be asking yourself, how can I become more humble? Which very few people ask. A very interesting dynamic, Peter says here. Peter says in verse seven, um, and the way that this is rendered in the Greek, it's it's worth me noting. It says, humble yourself, in verse six, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll uh, exalt you, or at the proper time, he may exalt you. But this is a run on sentence. In other words, verse six is connected to verse seven. So in other words, he's saying, humbling yourself Casting all your anxieties is an expression of humbling yourself It says because he cares for you What we don't realize is that much of our anxiety really comes from our pride Much of our anxiety comes from self-sufficiency it comes from the presumption listen Right now, the anxiety that you are feeling is based in the word how. How will I? How will it? Well, how could this turn around? How? And when you are suffering under the weight of anxiety, it is a picture of your unwillingness to let go of it and give it to God. It is a picture of you holding on to it and saying, "God, God, chill, chill, chill. I can fix it. I can think it through. I can deliberate with it. I can work on it." And our anxiety and our fears must not be held onto. Rather, he says, "Cast them. Cast those concerns onto the Lord." Because God has a constant concern for you, cast them. I love that this word here says cast your anxieties onto him. You know that don't even say pray, it says cast them. The imagery there, it's the same word in the gospels that they would use of a fishing net. Of a fishing net at the time, it was a net that was broad and you would cast it out into the sea. And as it was casted out into the sea, there were weights on the sides of them and they would go down into the water and they would catch the fish. And so you had to hurl it out there if you wanted to get into the deep. You had to throw it out there if you wanted to get a lot of fish. And the imagery of what he's saying, what do you do with anxiety? Cast it onto the Lord. And let me say this. The casting onto the Lord should be to the degree of anxiety that you feel. Oh, I'm about to preach now. I tell you this almost every week some of you pray too safe. You feel anxiety, and you're like, Well, Lord, if you could, and possibly and in your will, and I know you could, but possibly, maybe, could you cast it onto the Lord? You do it, you take it, you are good. This is why I tell you, and I'm not, I'm not here to pump you up, but you need to get into the function of praising God because when you praise God, you're reminding yourself of the character of God, of who God is and the goodness of the Lord. And this should be a cathartic experience, reminding yourself God is good. Why am I worried about that anymore? And so stop just throwing out prayers and cast them rather you're either keeping anxiety or casting anxiety. And anxiety is actually meant to be a a pathway into intimacy. Every time you feel this doubt in your heart, when you're in situations, we have to remember anxiety is God's job. Whenever you feel anxiety, you go, well, that's God's job. My mama, I was cleaning out her house in Alabama, and on her refrigerator, she has a to-do list. And then next to her to-do list, she has a God's to-do list. (laughs) It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. She'll be like, oh, I got to clean this and do this. And then she's like, and then she got names like Harold. I got to deal with Harold. I got to deal with the deacon board. All this stuff. And she literally has a list that says God's to-do list. And so I said, Mama, what is that? She said, those are things God got to do. <laughs> she said, I'm not going to worry about that. It's too big for me, it's too heavy for me. I can't deal with it. My, what my mother is saying, that's God's job description. Whenever I face anxiety, it's an indication I'm taking on something God should be taking on. Yes. Boy, you better delegate that. Some of y'all bad at delegating in your jobs. In general. <laughs> Some of y'all take on too much in your jobs in general. You're you, you like, they got me doing two and three jobs. Well, how about you're doing God's job Whenever you face anxiety stop praying pretty and start praying ugly And I'm saying I'm I'm just saying get your face Because listen on your jobs have has anybody ever told you to do something that it's not your job That's the energy I need when you feel anxiety, I need that same energy. Like, oh no, you, you got it twisted. That, that, oh no, 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 boo. That's not, that's, uh, that's, not, that's not for me. That's for them. And I'm saying when you feel anxiety, you should say that's for him. It's his. It's not yours. Why would you keep it? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to minister to you right now. Your life can transform when you stop allowing anxiety to be normal for you. Seriously, now, mind you, there are mental health issues, and there's a whole therapeutic wing to this discussion that I'm not talking about. Let's just put that in another category. What I'm talking about are the regular day-to-day things that your mind is overwhelmed with. The spirit of the living God wants to partner with you to talk to God about them. When in your brain you feel things won't change, there's a reason why Peter at the end of this says, look what he says, because God cares for you. Why would Peter need to even say that? Because there comes a point in our pride when you've worked hard. Some of you have had to fight for yourself so long. Some of you have gotten to the position where no one's been there for you. Some of you have cried and you're like, no one else is gonna listen to me so I might as well not tell anybody. And there's a point in you where you begin to believe no one cares. And there's, on the surface, we say this won't change, this won't change. I don't see this changing. But underneath the surface, we have this belief that God doesn't care. And saints, what if God cared just as much and even more about your relationship situation right now? about your marriages, about your finances? What if God cared just as much as you and even more? And there is something powerful about when you are feeling alone and you are feeling the weight of your doubts where you remind yourself, God cares. It changes when you know that God is there caring for you. Saints, we have to not hold on to these anxieties. We must cast them on to the Lord. We must be reminded of God's character and that he cares. Why? Because our second enemy, our second enemy is the devil. And the devil hunts for the hurting. He's on a hunt. He's sniffing it out. He knows how much you hurt right now. He knows how much you doubt right now. He knows how much fear you have right now. So look in verse eight of chapter five. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Anybody. He's not on a hunt for families or pastors or leaders. He just wants to know who is hurting in their soul. And the devil wants to destroy your faith. So here's what he says. When he says be sober-minded, be watchful, it's another way of saying stay awake to the spiritual reality of what you're dealing with right now. That maybe it's the devil. My mom was always good at that. You know, I'd be on the phone with my mom, and, so, and you know, the, somebody, you know, like the, we'd get bad. Like she'd be telling me about the Lord, and then all of a sudden, like, we'd get some kind of interference on the phone, and they'd be like, Mom, can you hear me? He, oh, like FaceTime all the time. Like, mom, can you hear me? And then all of a sudden, she'd come back, she'd be like, The devil's busy. <laughs> the devil is busy. He is, oh, he ain't never out of a job. The devil's busy. I was like, well, my not. She's like, well, what were we talking about? I was like, the Lord, the Lord. That's right, we were talking about the Lord. That's right, mm mm-hmm. My mom does that all the time. But I tell you, one thing I got noted, guess what? The devil is busy, y'all. <laughs> the, the devil is busy. I've seen people just seeing their faith destroyed. I've seen so many people walk away from the Lord. And the devil comes and he's prowling around people who are, and is, ain't nothing wrong with doubting God. Just doubt God with God. Ain't nothing wrong with doubting the church. Just doubt church in church. Because isolation will destroy you. Mountain lions detect Vulnerabilities in their prey, they attack the weakest, the young, the sick, and the injured. Studies have confirmed this is an instinctive cruelty. It's how mountain lions live. Listen, listen, they follow the scent of the suffering. And they feast on what they find. Maybe it's not just a depression brought about by things going wrong. Maybe the fact that all these things you've seen in your life that makes you want to have anxiety. Maybe there's something spiritual happening as well. Maybe the devil wants to partner with your depression. He doesn't want you to tell anybody. Don't tell nobody. He didn't want you to be around people. And he, the, the number one way the devil can grab us is by making us embarrassed. Too embarrassed to be vulnerable. Too embarrassed to be honest. Too embarrassed to, te- to tell us where we are spiritually in reality. So while you tell me all the things you've done for God, you're spending all day with the devil and he is destroying your mind. And we must have a moment where we get somebody to pray for you. Prayer was never meant to be solely individualized. It's always meant to be corporate where two or three are gathered. There's something about bringing other believers into the situation if not only to pray for you, but also to testify of the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, the Bible says no temptation or you except what is common to man. I can't tell you how many people have told me things in secret that are really not a secret. <laughs> They're like, Pastor, I'm actually really in debt. My Instagram looks like I'm really popping, but I'm not really popping really deeply and dead I'm like that's half the church <laughs> that ain't no secret <laughs> married couples coming to me talking about I don't feel respected I'm like join all the brothers <laughs> ladies like I don't feel seen I'm like talk to the ladies what I'm trying to tell you is he kills you in isolation he destroys you because you're too proud to be honest And so he lures you away. And all of a sudden, you don't come back to people, you don't come back to church, you're by yourself. And you gotta have this Herculean effort just to be in the house of the Lord. And it wasn't Jesus, it was your shame. And it was the evil one. You know what they call the evil one? The accuser of the brethren. Who accuses you. (laughs) As we close, I want you to be reminded of Luke 22, 31 and 32. Luke 22, 31 and 32. In this story, the same Peter that wrote this text put himself in a position where he told Jesus, Though everyone would go away, he would never go away. He would never deny him. And if you know the story, Peter denied Jesus like everyone else, abandoned him. Jesus, in Luke 22, prophesies to him and tells him, you're going to deny me three times. But here's what Jesus says to Peter, Luke 22, verse 31 through 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. If you know the story, Peter ends up denying Jesus and then going over to the water where he used to fish. And from what most scholars say, Peter had pretty much given up on the ministry, given up on the vision that Jesus had given him for his life because he failed so greatly. But if you also know the story of Peter, you know Peter was a proud man. Peter was always saying things he had no business saying. Peter thought highly of himself. And though Peter would fail, Jesus predicted his failure. And this is what he says. On the end, at the end he says, I want you to be able to strengthen your brothers after your failure. But you gotta know Satan's got another plan. He wants to sift you as wheat. Sifting is a metaphor. It's when you have the stalk and the wheat in it and you're basically shaking it to get the wheat out. It would go through this like filter And they would shake it. And then all of a sudden the wheat grains would come down. When he uses that metaphor of sift, it's as if saying, Satan wants to shake you apart. Satan wants to break you down. And when the imagery is there, what it's saying is, Satan wants to separate you from your faith. Satan's got no problem if you get a new job. Just don't have no faith on that job. Satan ain't got no problem if you get a new relationship. Just don't have faith in that relationship. Don't have faith in God in that relationship. He wants to do anything he can do to break you down in your faith. Listen, Simon, Satan wants to break you down, but listen, guess what? I've prayed for you and because I've prayed for you I've got another vision for your life it's going to feel like failure but one day you don't know this one day you're going to be writing letters that go thousands of years ahead of you you don't even know the plans I have for you the very failure you're experiencing will not be the definition of your life but I've prayed for you that's the the difference Satan wants to sift you like we but I've prayed for you and I want to offer you this today no matter the trial Jesus longs for you to have a humble heart but the opposition you feel and the trial you face it can destroy your faith but prayers of the righteous and of the saints can strengthen your faith so much so that you have a testimony where you can strengthen your brothers and sisters. That's the future of your life. The trial in your, that you're in right now, the pain that you're experiencing right now, it's setting you up for a testimony in the future. That's the explicit purpose of Jesus, to humble you and to help you have a voice so that you might be his and tell his story. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Oh, but I've prayed for you. But I've prayed for you. I wonder if we could just imagine the voice of Jesus saying, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of God interceding for the brethren. I've prayed for you. I care for you. God cares. And Christ is at the right hand of the Father praying for the doubts you feel. There's loneliness in your room. God cares about your loneliness. There's brokenness in relationships. He cares about that. And he's prayed for you. Can you just hold on to Jesus' hand this week? If nothing else seems like it's going right, hold on to his unchanging hand. He's prayed for you. And he cares for you. And with that, we trust the living God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to offer you something as I was talking. Many of you might have heard something about your own life where you felt like God was speaking to you. But I want to tell you, coming to church is a wonderful thing. But when you walk out of here, the moment you have with Jesus, it's a decision you have to make. Not to have Jesus in your life, but to be the leader of your life. I'm not asking if you're a church member. I'm not asking do you have church history. I'm not asking if you grew up in church. I'm asking this morning for you to make a decision for Jesus to be the leader of your life. The leader of your life. I wanna offer you this today. Is there anyone here today your mind is going right now? You're thinking as I'm talking, is there anyone here today, you want Jesus to be the leader of your life? Just come forward right here. We will celebrate that decision. It is the best decision you can make in your life for Jesus to be the leader. It doesn't matter if there's people around you, they will move out your way. Come down today and make that decision today. Is there one where you wanna make Jesus the leader of your life? Is there one today? that you want him to begin to lead your life. Anyone, anyone here today, I pray you come, come forward, amen. Give God praise, give God praise. Is there another don't be, don't be embarrassed 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 is there another is there another where you just want today I want to experience the leadership of Jesus over my life I've been in church and around church but his leadership is what I long for is there any others is there any others I see you brother come right here Is there another? Is there another? I want the leadership. I want the leadership. I want the leadership. I can't do it on my own anymore. I want the leadership of Jesus. I can't do it anymore on my own. I want his leadership. Is there another? You want the leadership of Jesus over your life. You want him to be Lord. Well, why don't we give a hand praise for these two right here. Today, you all have made the greatest decision you've made in your life. Today, we want you to know we are here to support you, to be here with you, to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Saints, can we pray for them today? Father, in the name of Jesus. Let us surround them, not just with our prayers, but we pray that the presence of Jesus would be as strong. God, fight off the devil this week, God, in a unique way. We know that the enemy seeks to prowl, but Jesus, you are more powerful. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we come around them, Lord. We ask that you would rescue them, their hearts from themselves. And you would give them a new and a fresh start. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Celebrate with us, the Lord. Go with them right there. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.